Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's message. Our hope with this content is that it would help you come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. If you're grateful for this word, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and also you can partner with what Jesus is doing here at Elevate City through giving. There's a link below for that as well. Here's today's message. I can't wait for you to hear it. Well, as we've been studying the book of Galatians throughout the summer, we've started every message by reading the entire chapter that we are getting ready to study and then preaching it. And tonight, I actually want to invite somebody special forward, and I think you'll understand why in just a second, to read Galatians chapter 4 for us. I want to invite my dad, Buddy McLaughlin, to come and read Galatians 4. So will y'all welcome my dad as he comes to the stage tonight? He's kind of tough to follow, but, you know. <laughs> I mean that the, that the heir, as long as he is a child and is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that to you, to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you I wish I could present with you now and change my tone for I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you tell me you who desire to be under the law do you not listen to the law for it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman and one by a free woman but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written... Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the child of the des desolate one 
of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Can you all thank my dad for reading that scripture tonight? I got to let you all know tonight that becoming a dad changed me, okay? Like, you really can't comprehend how much a parent loves their kids until you have kids of your own. I remember um, like growing up and I would look over and my mom would just be like staring at me. I'd be like, yo mom, what are you looking at? Just you, (laughs) just my precious baby boy, you. And I'd be like, mom, I'm 23, that's weird, stop. Like (laughs) calm down, right? I remember there are times where my dad would call me and. I wouldn't answer my phone and he would leave a voicemail and he said, I don't need anything. Was just calling to hear your voice. That's all. Have a great day. And I'd be like, dad, people get restraining orders for that. Okay. Like you need to calm down. And then I had kids of my own and all of a sudden I'm like crying in commercials. I'm like emotional about like the smallest stuff. I'm playing dress up and I like it. You know, just so much about my life, it starts to change when I became a father. I'm like taking imaginary trips to 14 different countries by lunchtime. I've had 37 different plastic meals. You know, the plastic food parent that you eat over and over and over again. My daughter's just always trying to feed me food. I'm like, girl, I'm trying to watch my figure, you know? But I do it, why? Because I'm her Dad, and being a dad, man, it just changes you. It shifts you. Everything in my life, like in silly ways, yes, but in more significant ways, began to change once I understood the nature and the reality of the relationship between a father and his kids. Everything in my life, the way that I saw relationships and the way that I saw time and the way that I saw money and the way that I saw my purpose, it shifted when I became a dad, when I understood what it means to be meant to really, really and truly meant to be a son of somebody, to have a dad and to be a dad. And likewise, I believe that everything in your life will change when you understand what it means for God to be your father and for you to be his son. Massive shifts in the human soul occur when this happens. When you really internalize and believe and see God as your son. Everything in your life is affected by two things. How you see God and how you see yourself. Everything in your life will change and shift and move when you have an accurate understanding of God and an accurate understanding of how God sees you. Let me ask you tonight, how do you see God? How do you see God? People see God in so many different ways. Some of them see him as this like light or this force or this energy. And he's like, not really like a form, but he's just out there somewhere and he's like deity and he's in control and there's like purple and like psychedelic stuff going on and that's God. Some people see him as like a Gandalf, right? He's just big beard, staff, wizard. 
And that's their image of God. Some see God as a policeman, that he's just waiting for you to break a rule or to break a law and he can punish you. He's just waiting to pounce. Some people see God as this like grandpa and he's just like far removed and he's, you know, like can't figure out how to get Siri to work on his phone. And he's got his, you know, text is just, it's the size of the screen. He's just got a 72 point font, right? And he's out of touch with reality and he's kind of removed from what matters and he's out of date and out of vogue and out of fashion. And that's, that's how they see God. But tonight I want for you to see God as your father, as your dad. Let me ask you, do you see God? And this is the big question for tonight. Do you see God more as a father or more as a master? And do you see yourself as more of a slave or more of a son? Do you see God as a father or do you see God as a master who's just trying to control you and manipulate you and use you? And do you see yourself as a slave, as somebody who's just working to earn approval and to be loved and to do something for somebody? Or do you see yourself as a son who is loved and celebrated and given access and an inheritance and is a part of a family? Your misconception of those relationships is one of the most tragic misconceptions in all of life. I'm talking tonight like joy and purpose and freedom and breakthrough and peace and security and tenacity and belonging is at stake based upon how you see God and how you see yourself. In Paul's letter to the book of Galatia, he is trying to correct this massive misconception, this misconception that somehow we are supposed to work for God and not be a part of his family, that he loves us because of what we do and he doesn't love us because of who we are, his kids. You know, being a dad, I watch a lot of Disney movies like on repeat, okay? just over and over and over again. And one that I've watched countless times and that there's countless iterations of because it's so powerful is Cinderella, right? They've made so many different versions of Cinderella. And most of us know the story, but the reason that Cinderella is powerful is not because every girl deserves to be a princess. The reason Cinderella is powerful is because every girl deserves to have a dad. And tonight I want for you to understand not just what it means to come into the house of God and to serve God, but to truly be a part of the family of God. Because that's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Galatians. You can't work hard enough to earn your dad's love. Your dad loves you because you're his son. He wants you to see that tonight. And so Paul writes this letter and I love it as Pastor Joe said it in all caps to demonstratively communicate that it is not true that you can be accepted by God by doing works of the flesh. What these Judaizers were trying to do is they were trying to propagate this idea that if you kept the Mosaic law, the 10 commandments and the 613 Jewish commands, and if you dressed like a Jew and ate like a Jew and talked like a Jew, that God would love you and say that you're in his family. And in all caps, Paul is going, no way, that's not true. He wants you to see that it's not the law that makes you a Christian. It's being a son that makes you want to follow the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 23 is where he begins this idea. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order 
that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In the first three chapters of Galatians, Paul is clarifying how you and I get right with God. If you've ever wondered that, like, how can I be right with God? How can I make sure I'm going to get in in the end? That's what he's doing in Galatians 1 through 3. He's explaining how salvation's, salvation works. For three chapters, Paul is communicating that we are not saved by what we do, but we are saved by what Jesus has done. Amen? It's not the law, it's grace through faith. God gave Jesus as this incredible gift to die so that we could live. Not because we had done something good or because we deserve it, but because God is good and his holiness demands it. That's grace. Jesus gets the cross and we get Jesus. Jesus gets what we deserve and we get what Jesus had as his inheritance. And our belief in that, you can't miss this tonight. This is so important. Our belief in that, our belief in that reality, our trusting that Jesus died and rose again, our staking our hope for eternal life in Jesus' name, our surrender to what he did on the cross is what secures our salvation. And that's called faith. It's called faith. And for three chapters, Paul has been explaining the technical workings of salvation. And at the end of chapter three, Paul shifts to explaining the blessing of salvation, primarily sonship. And that's where we're picking up today. Galatians chapter four, verse one. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So at the end of chapter three, Paul makes reference to this promise that God had made with Abram in Genesis chapter 12, that God was gonna take this guy named Abram and he was gonna take his family and turn it into a worldwide global family where God would be his father and all these people would be God's sons. And what Paul is saying is that you and I, we are heirs, we are in the lineage of that promise. But there's a big problem. Illustrations that were written for people on a different continent in a different culture, 2,000 years removed, don't always make sense to us, right? And so in the Galatian context, um, Paul's using this illustration to explain that reality, and it, it doesn't always make sense to us. So let me try to help you understand this. In the Galatian context, it was extremely common for people to own slaves. Now, I wanna do a quick bit on slavery because the Bible talks about it a lot. And a lot of people get really frustrated with the Bible and turned off to Christianity because of how the Bible talks about slavery. You see, the big problem is this, is that when we think about slavery, rightly so, it is massively affected by slavery in America before the Civil War. And that slavery was entirely racially motivated. And the Bible speaks to that kind of slavery. In the book of Exodus, God's people, the Hebrew people, were enslaved because of their race to the Egyptians. Do you know what God says and does when slavery is racially motivated? He ends it. He sets his people free. God's heart towards slavery, when it is motivated by race, is always and forever freedom. But in the Galatian context, it is not racially motivated at all. In the New Testament context, when you see writings around slavery, this is what you need to know, is at that time and that place in the world, all races were slaves 
and all races were slave owners too. So it didn't matter what race you were. It wasn't motivated by race. It was motivated more often than not by having to pay off a debt, by having to pay off a debt. So it's entirely different than our understanding. It's not this like you got sold into slavery and then it's a lifelong sentence. That's not the slavery that's being talked about in the New Testament. Such a massive misconception. People will take these little verses of the Bible and be like, see, Christianity propagated that. And some people use those incorrectly to do that. But the, the form of slavery here, it actually had a, um, like uh, an, an end date on it. Usually by the age of 30, whoever was enslaved to somebody, they got set free because they had paid their debt. Sometimes slavery in the New Testament was actually something people volunteered for because life as a slave was better than life as a peasant. And so if you enslaved yourself to a master, then you knew that your wealthy master would give you food and shelter and protection and clothing. So life as a slave was better than life as a poor free peasant. And so some people would volunteer for it. So it's entirely different than being motivated by race. And you've got to understand that today. You also need to understand that Christianity spread through the poorest of the poor in the first century. This message was so enticing that these people who were cast out could be brought in. These people who were passed over could be seen and loved and valued. And so the people who are hearing this, a lot of them are slaves. And so then he begins to make this illustration. Now, here's the other thing that you got to understand about the context that they're in is when a master owned a slave, the slave would come to live with them and the slave would have kids too. And although the slave was in submission to the master, the slave was over or cared for the master's kids. So this is what would happen is all of the slave's kids and the slaves would run around with the master's kids. And if you rolled up on a house of somebody who had some slaves, you wouldn't be able to tell which one was a slave kid and which one was a master kid. When you're young kids in this context, they were just like slaves and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, until the, the time of coming of age came. The and that would be like when the father was going to give his kids the inheritance or decided that they were old enough now to like um, be over the slaves. There would be this time that would come when the father would go, okay, you're no longer a kid. Now you're an adult. And so now you'd be elevated. and It'd be clear that you're no longer a slave. And what Paul is saying is that that's how the law worked. For a while, when we were kids, in the early part of Christianity, the law, we were like slaves to it. We were in bondage to it. But when Jesus came, we got set free from the law. We grew up and we got to step into freedom. This is a beautiful truth tonight. It's really explaining the nature of how the law worked in the Old Testament, that it was this guard, this guide to lead us, and that God's end desire is that we would be free, set totally free for life in Christ. So, Galatians chapter uh, four, verse three says this. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is so good. Like there's so much to unpack here. We're not even gonna have time for it for the next like four weeks, but... It is so good. All right, so let's just start with this concept right here, that we are now an heir, that because once we were a slave to the law, but now we've grown up as a son, and now we are an heir. And it's really important for you to understand what an heir is in this context. So in this context, the entire inheritance of a father would go to their oldest living son, most of the time, their firstborn son, unless that son had died. And so that son, it would get, they would get everything, right? They would get the house, they would get the cars, they'd get the Rolex, 
They would get the Hank Aaron autographed baseball. Dad, don't forget about that one, okay? They'd get it all. They'd get all of the things that their father was going to give them. And so all of the blessing was resting on the firstborn son or the oldest son. Now, I know what some of you guys are like wondering right now. Let me speak to the ladies in the house because some of the ladies are going, well, what about me? What about me? There are times in the Bible where the Bible will use the language sons and daughters of God, but it will never use daughter of God when it is talking about inheritance because in the first century, girls didn't get one. Girls were seen as property. They were seen as less than. They would be sold and traded for benefit. And so what Paul is doing, he comes along and he actually elevates the status of a girl. He doesn't forget about girls. He doesn't forget about women. He actually remembers them, honors them, and elevates them. Because what could have never been gotten in the physical, Paul is going, for you women, this is available for you in the kingdom of God. No one has done more to elevate the rights of women than Jesus. Nobody who has fought for the value of women more than Jesus. Jesus has elevated women to a place that was unimaginable before Christianity broke onto the scenes. And so girls, when you see that you are a son of God, what he is saying is you get all the inheritance too. Your gender doesn't make you different at all in the eyes of God when it comes to how he wants to bless you. He sees you and he values you. And that should cause us to celebrate tonight, church, that we've got a God who loves all people. Now I wanna to speak to this idea of the elementary principles of, of this world. The elementary principles of this world. Don't miss that part. What Paul is talking about is he's talking about low level living. Low level living. This is how the law worked. And this is, this is how life works at its lowest form. Like do this for me and I'll do this for you. Isn't that how life works? This is how the law works. Jews were slaves to the law. Gentiles were slaves to the world. Obey the law and you can be in my family. Elementary principle of this world. Work hard and you'll be blessed. Be what people want and you'll be liked. Achieve and you'll be honored. Work hard and you'll be paid back. Make a mistake, make a sacrifice. That's elementary living and it's slavery. Slavery. It's being enchained to what other people think about you. It's being enslaved to other people's perception of you. It is being enslaved to people's opinions of you. It's becoming a slave to fear and a slave to image. It makes you a slave to your bank account and a slave to the grind and a slave to culture and a slave to status quo and a slave to success and a slave to small, low living. The elementary principles of this world, if you do this for me, I do this for you, I'm trying to get your approval, I'm gonna be good and do what you want, that is elementary low living. It causes you to live a predictable, safe, no freedom life. You see, most people are more familiar with this way of life. Like a lot of us are more familiar with the slave state of mind than we are the son state of mind. We just live in that world where I'm, I see myself as a slave and I don't see myself as a son. And I think one of the things that really perpetuates this, especially in this culture and in this generation is the dysfunctional relationships that so many of us have with our dads. I think that that way that we see our dad, our image of our dad is so tainting and affecting our view of God. You know, this is called the fatherless generation and not without reason. 
50% of marriages are ending in divorce and kids are just left abandoned and, and just feeling like, what even is a dad anymore? And do fam does family even matter in this generation? And I don't know what kind of dad you had. And maybe you had like just a, a dad who was absent and that's just how you see God. He's just absent because your dad, he just left you. He abandoned you just up out of nowhere. One night he was there, the next night he wasn't. And, and you're just trying to figure out life because your dad abandoned you. Maybe he is an absent dad for, maybe he died. And so that's your understanding of dad is he's just absent. Maybe you have, maybe you have like that driving dad who was just driving you and pushing you and it was never good enough. It was never perfect enough. It's never done enough. It was never done the right way. Like you could do something like really good and you'd be like, you know, it's good, but here's this thing that you did wrong. And you just had this driving dad that just, it was never ever enough. Maybe you had the wounded dad where he had a horrible dad and his dad had a horrible dad. And so he didn't know how to be a dad. And so all of those hurts and frustrations and mean things that his dad did to you that he said he would never do and that he hated, he now does to you. So you had that like wounded dad and Maybe you have, maybe you had an equipping dad. Like maybe you had a really, really good dad. A dad who like wanted to prepare you for life and he wanted to get in the trenches with you and he wanted to like get you ready for the world that you were gonna face. And he wanted, he would say things to you all the time. Like you'd get in trouble and he'd discipline you and he would look at you and he'd go, you're gonna thank me for this someday. Like, no, I'm not, homie, <laughs> right? But then you get a little two-year-old terror and you get on the phone and you go, thank you because all these things you did to me and for me and with me, now, now I'm doing that with this little psycho and it's bringing some sanity to my life. And maybe you did, you had that dad who loved you, like fiercely loved you. And he, he every night would like go into room by room if you had siblings and he would start with one and he would go, I just, I love you. He'd pray with you and he'd sing songs with you and read books with you. And then he would, at the end of it all, he would just go, I just, I need you to know this, all right? You're my favorite of them all, okay? I just love you so much. Like if I only had, you're my favorite kid, okay? I love you, sweet dreams, have a great night. And then he'd go down the hall, you'd hear him kind of walking and he'd go to the next room and he would sing songs and he would pray and he would read books and then he would go, look right at me. You're my favorite one of them all. I just love you and you're just amazing. And, and then he'd walk down the hallway and he'd make it to your brother's room and he would go, you're the favorite and just run out, right, real quick. And there would be these like, just this joy that would rise in the house to know that you're not just loved, but you're a part of a family that's loved and that's believed in, and it would create this culture. I don't know what image of, of or what kind of father you have, but I know that whatever kind of father you have, it shaped and informed your view of God. And it is possible that everything in your life is getting sold short right now because you think that your father in heaven is the same as your father on earth. And I just came here to tell you tonight that God is not a reflection of your dad. He is the perfection of your dad. He fulfills everything that your dad couldn't. He redeems everything that your dad left out. He comes through where your dad went short. That's what it means to have God as your father and for you to be his son. You understanding this can unlock freedom on your insides. It can cause slavery to get eradicated and for chains to fall off. And that's what Paul is wanting for the church at Galatia. He wants them to see themselves as sons, for them to see God as father. 
Most of us don't see God, though, as a perfect, loving father. We see him as a performance-based master. We feel like we are slaves who are just trying to earn our master's approval. And then we end up being slaves because we can't. Slaves to sin because we can't. You see, when we see God as a master who is disappointed in us, we become slaves to sin to try to cope with that disappointment. Think about this for a second. Man, I'm not good enough. I can't measure up. God's mad at me. He's just out to get me. He's like, my dad was always angry with me, and I can just never do the things that he asks me to do, and I'm just always a failure, and I always fall short. And so, you know, I just got to cope with this. And so then what happens when you don't see yourself as a son and when you don't see God as a father, you become a slave to sin, a slave to addiction, a slave to pornography, a slave to other people's approval, a slave to sex, a slave to anything that can kind of fill that void of not having the love of your father. Yeah. You know like oftentimes happens like this, like just the way that things get mixed and reversed in our minds. It's like maybe you had this experience where one day your dad pulled you aside at night and he said, hey, buddy, I just, I need to tell you some news. Um, Daddy's just got to work on himself. There's some stuff going on with me and your mom and mommy loves you and daddy loves you. And but daddy's just got some stuff that he needs to work on. And so daddy's going to go and he's gonna live somewhere else for a while and I'm gonna try to work it out and we're gonna try to get together. But I just want for you to note that it's not your fault. And those words come out of his mouth, but they land in your soul in a twisted way and you believe that it is your fault and that you are a disappointment. And then you live into that disappointment, believing that somehow you've just disappointed God. And you spend the rest of your life trying to earn your dad's approval. But the father is going, I do not accept you because of what you've done or not done. It's not about being disappointed or not being disappointed. It's about the fact that I've adopted you and called you my own and brought you into my family. And I want for you to live in the freedom that comes with that. So many of us when we view God as a master and we view ourselves as a slave, we end up living as if God wants something from us when the truth is that he wants desperately something for us. We live gripped by fear. If God is a master, we live in constant fear. Fear, is he going to beat me and get angry with me and abandon me and reject me? We become slaves to fear. But if we understand that God is our father, we live gripped by love unconditional, deep, wide, long, never-ending, as the Bible says, love. If you miss everything else, just get this. God loves you as a dad. God loves you the way that a father loves his son when he sees him the very first time and just can't stop staring. He loves you that way. And I know you're thinking, Joey, that's not profound. I've heard that a million times. But if we could just project your thoughts up on the screen of the people who live in here, there would be dozens and dozens and dozens of you who feel totally unloved in this world. And what you need more than anything else is the love of the Father to know how deeply and wildly he loves you. I need you to know, this is for somebody tonight, you've been living for a slave too long. You've been living as a slave to your past, chained to your failure, in bondage to some weird form of religion that you think is gonna make you measure up. And I believe it's time for some people to get set free tonight and for you to understand that God sees you as a son. 
Galatians chapter four, verse four says this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, this part is gonna be kind of like technical, but really, really cool if you're more on the like intellectual side of things. I know that was very emotional. Now I wanna kind of get an intellectual in a really cool way. So when the fullness of time had come, think about this, God picked the right time to send his son into the world. Like you've got to wrestle with this idea if you're not a Jesus follower. Like if you're not a believer, if you're just checking this whole thing out, think about when God sent his son into the world. Like up to this point, no one had gained influence in the world except through barbaric force and might. But what happened at the time that Jesus came onto the scenes is that the Roman Empire had expanded to the point that it was the dominant force in the world. And so something known as Pax Romana was moving throughout the ancient world. And Pax Romana is really defined by these like three ideas. It's Roman peace, Roman thought, and Roman roads. Roman peace, Roman thought, and Roman roads. Roman peace is that the empire had grown so big that nobody would challenge the Roman Empire where it used to be that all these wars were being fought for this period of time. When Jesus came onto the scene, almost no wars were being fought because everybody knew they couldn't challenge Rome. So Roman peace made it possible for people to travel and explore new ideas and for kingdoms to not just get torn apart overnight. Roman roads made access to the global world possible. These trade routes were forming, which so then when the gospel comes onto the scene, it can just spread like wildfire because there's roads for people to be able to get there. And then Roman ideas, they were exploring new ways of thought and ethics and values. And that made people open to new ideas as opposed to the religions that their tribes grew up in. And so it was at this moment, perhaps the only moment up until this time in the history of the world where Christianity could have spread, where new religion could have grown. And it's at that time that God sent his son. I mean, think about it, just logically. How else does a, the son of a Roman carpenter with no education, a ragtag group of fishermen followers turn the world upside down? Because God at the right time sent his son into the world to save the world. God picked the right time. God sent his biological son at the right time to make us his sons. Do you know that Jesus is like always talking about God as father? Always, always talking about God as father. Over and over and over again. Jesus wants for us to see God as father. So check this out. Like in the Old Testament, this, this is like mind blowing. This idea of fatherhood, of the fatherhood of God appears roughly 19 times. 37 books, 19 times does this idea of the fatherhood of God appear in the Old Testament. But then Jesus bursts onto the scenes and 169 times in the four gospels alone, God is called father. Do you know why? Because seeing God as father is not a way to see God, it is the way to see God. Like Jesus wants you to see that he is father. Like think about his ministry, okay? So Jesus teaches us to pray. It's the one thing the disciples ask him to teach them. And what does he say? He says, our father, our father. I want for you to see him that he's not just my dad, but he's your dad too, our father. Think about this, Jesus' baptism. So in Jesus' baptism, um, that we see this beautiful representation of the Trinity, which once again, relationship, we have a triune God, God as father, Jesus as son, and then the spirit enabling us to be sons. But at Jesus' baptism, God the father speaks from heaven. And this is what he says. He goes, this is my 
No, no, he says, this is my servant. This is my slave. This is my worker. This is my missionary. Absolutely not. You know it. He says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, what makes that part so significant is up to this moment of Jesus' baptism, he has done nothing notable at all. He hasn't cast out a demon. He hasn't performed a miracle. He hasn't parted a sea. He hasn't walked on water so far as we know. He hasn't turned water into wine. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't given the great commission. He hasn't died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He hasn't defeated death and rose from the grave. He didn't go to hell and defeat the devil. He done none of that yet. And the father goes, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Meaning that God's pleasure with you is not based upon your performance for him. God is pleased with you because you're his kid, you're his son, you're his daughter, and you're in his family. And until you get this, you will spend your whole life working for God to love you instead of living from the love that God has for you. I'm convinced that so much of Jesus' ministry in this broken, dark, barbaric world where he is betrayed by his followers and he is rejected by those closest to him and his, his adoptive parents say, I don't even know you. It's because he was living every day in the love of the Father. At the end of his life, we see Jesus make these statements from the cross. Like he starts it and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right before he's about to say, about to die, the last thing that he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Think about the moment that Jesus is in right then. It's the worst moment of his life. Naked, humiliated, broken, on a cross, mocked. Dad, I trust you. He wants us to get this understanding that we've got a God who's got us on the worst day of our life. Jesus desperately wants us to see him, see God as father. If you have faith in Jesus tonight, you were adopted into a family. You are not left as an orphan. You are not treated as a slave. You have a dad. You are not just right with the judge, but you are loved by the father. And there is insane blessing that comes with that. Galatians chapter four, verse six says it like this. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When a kid is born into a family, that day becomes their birthday. And every year they get gifts in that family on the day that they were born. And what Jesus says, what Paul says, is that when we are born or adopted into the family of God, our gift is the spirit of Jesus. The spirit is the gift that God gives us when he adopts us into his family. Like some people get adopted and they get a new car. Some people get adopted and they get a puppy. Some people get adopted and they get this, you know, basketball. But we get adopted and we get the spirit of God living on our insides, crying out, Abba, Father, proving our relationship with God. You see, this word Abba here, it would be the Hebrew form of dad or daddy or papa or padre. It would be this like intimate nickname or title that sons would give their dads and that dads would respond to. And so he's saying that the spirit of God in us crying out for God is what proves that we are sons of God. Like think about this for a second. Like what do kids do when they get separated from their parents? They start crying out, right? Mom! Dad, where are you? Daddy, daddy. They cry out 
looking for their dad. Now, this is what I found so interesting, is Russ Moore, in his book, Adopted for Life, he talks about going to an orphanage filled with babies, but not one of them is crying. Do you know why? Because when a baby cries out and cries out and cries out long enough and no one comes, they just stop crying. Orphans don't cry out. Adopted sons of God, they cry out to their father because they know that he'll come running, that he cares and that he meets needs and that he solves problems and that he moves mountains. So they cry out to God. The gift of adoption is that we can cry out to our father and he comes. Do you know what this means? It means that we can burst into his room without knocking on the door. It means that we can jump off the couch and believe that he's gonna catch us. It means that we can wrestle with him even though we know we're gonna lose every time. It means he will provide for us, that he cares for us, that he loves spending time with us. It means he picks up the tab when we make mistakes. Like, I don't know who originally said this, but I love this. Religion is I messed up, dad's gonna kill me. The gospel is I messed up, I need to call my dad. That's what it means to be adopted into the family. I know in this fatherless generation, it is full of people from broken homes causing us to see God through a broken set of lenses, through a distorted view. But I want for you to know that God is the perfect father. He's the dad who will always speak to you when you call, that's prayer. He's the dad who will love you no matter what, that's grace. He's the dad who will help you discover your purpose, that's mission. He's the dad who will comfort you when you're sad, that's why he sent his spirit. He's the dad who will never leave you, he's ever present. He's the dad who will not hurt you or harm you, but uses all things for your good and for your glory for his glory because he's your dad because he's your dad we live these small lives and we pray these small prayers because we don't see God as our dad you know kids will like ask their dad for anything like outrageous things things they would never ask anybody else for they'll ask their dad for so like I've got this daughter Raleigh and um, I've been fortunate to travel uh all over the world. And so Raleigh often comes into my office and I've got this globe on my desk and she'll spin the globe and just point to a place and go, daddy, have you been to this place? And if I've been to the place, she goes, can you show me pictures? And so I'll start to show her pictures of the place. And so I've shown her all these sorts of pictures. And one day Raleigh spins the globe and she points to Paris, France. And she goes, daddy, have you ever been here? I said, yeah, baby, I've been there. Can you show me pictures? Of course I can show you pictures. And so I pull out pictures, I show her the Eiffel Tower, and I show her the palace at Versailles, and I show her where the Phantom of the Opera happened, I show her the Louvre, I show her all these extraordinary gardens and cafes and sites, and just her eyes are just wide open in wild yonder, and she goes, Daddy, will you take me there someday? I say, yeah, when you get a job and start to pay some bills and stop peeing the bed and eating your food and saying yes sir (laughs) no I said of course baby I'll do everything I can to take you there someday I just believe that there are these prayers that God wants to answer and these experiences that God wants us to have and these things that he wants to come through on but never does because we don't see him as a father and so we never ask. But what kind of prayers would you pray? 
What kind of adventure would your dad take you on? If you didn't see him as this distant deity far off in the sky, but he saw you as this dad who wanted to wake up every day and say, let's go on an adventure. Galatians chapter four, we close with this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul says, now that you really know God as father, not master, now that you really know self as son and not slave, do you really wanna go back to that way of life? Do you really wanna go back to acting like your flesh can solve all your problems, like this world has all of the answers, like somehow you could be satisfied in something or someone other than him, that you could be good enough on your own? Why would you go back to being a slave when you know who your dad really is? You remember that old book, Are You My Mother? Are You My Mother? About the little bird that hatched and he went all around to these different animals asking, are you my mother? And are you my mother? And are you my mother? I think this world and people in it are playing one giant game of, are you my father? Where can I find a place for someone to love me and care for me and walk with me and serve me and help me and protect me? Are you my father? Is sex my father? Is career my father? Is friendship my father? Is fame my father? Who is my father? God wants to be your father. And he knows you as his son intimately and personally. He knows your dreams and your fears. He knows your hopes and your desires. He knows the, the things about you that nobody else knows. And he loves you anyway. He wants to lead you into this life full of freedom and adventure. You know, it really changes. Like, have you ever seen a kid who was just so loved by their dad? were just cherished and they were adored and they wrestled and they snuggled and they cuddled and they prayed and they had inside jokes. And do you know what that looks like? Let me show you this picture. This is what it looks like for that right there. It looks like trust. Like I trust my dad because I know my God, dad's gonna catch me. I, I know that he's got good for me. And he wants to lead me into things that I would never step into by myself. Do you know what it looks like when you've been like trusting your dad like less long, like you haven't lived as long of a life? This is what it looks like. <laughs> a little less eloquent, kind of messy, but still flying through the air. So I don't care where you're at tonight. What I want for you to know is that whether you're a hundred years down the road walking with God or yesterday you started following Jesus, he wants for you to see him as your dad and he wants to take you on an adventure full of freedom that will blow your mind. This whole world is an orphanage full of people who are lonely and feel rejected and passed over. But God, through his son, Jesus, stands at the door knocking saying, do you wanna come home? Do you wanna be in my family? But as we know, no family is started without blood. God sent his son, Jesus, to be murdered, horrifically murdered, bleed and die on a cross. He gave up his son to make you and I his sons. If you will believe that, if you'll put your faith in that, he will send his spirit into your heart. He will pull you out of slavery and religion and into his family.
So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe this is all brand new to you. Or maybe you've just been living, held hostage to religion, seeing yourself as a slave and seeing God as your master. I wanna give you an opportunity to be adopted into the family tonight. This is what I want for you to do, just in the quietness of your heart, cry out, say, Abba, Dad, I know I've sinned and I know I've fallen short, but I believe you sent Jesus as my savior. I really believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I put my faith in that tonight. I believe that he rose again from the dead so that I can live. I believe that tonight. And I wanna be in your family. I wanna be your son. I wanna follow you with my life. If you prayed that, I just wanna mark that moment and have an adoption celebration with you tonight. On the count of three, I would love it if you would just raise your hand into the air saying, I'm coming home. I'm stepping out of slavery and into freedom. And I wanna declare tonight that I am a child of God. If you pray that prayer on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Yeah, come on, amen, amen. Let's celebrate tonight that some people are getting adopted and coming home to the heart of God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for bringing us into your family. We thank you for paying the price. We thank you for setting us free. We thank you for making us sons. We thank you that we are no longer slaves. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.